0: Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast. And here's your host. Okay, folks.
1: Uh, there's... I have to apologize. <laughs> the first runner-up is Colombia Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines Michael Preston.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you feel bad for the guy, right? You feel bad for Steve Harvey for doing that. And I saw the way they showed the card later and the way it was laid out was not, not very intuitive, but man, when you're going to go on stage, you're going to make that kind of announcement. You need to be back there with the producers, like clarifying everything. Who's the winner? Who's the runner-up? Who's the second runner-up? Oh my god! Just like you can't see it obviously because you only heard the audio, but the look on the woman's face who was Miss Columbia, the look on her face is just like if you had to have like a picture next to the definition of what the f in the dictionary. That would be it. Oh my goodness. Could have made him the Dunderhead of the Week. That's just too special to share. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. Bull Week edition of the Kook Center Hour. Here we're going to talk to Vince Grippy from the Spokesman Review, an old friend of ours. Then Jerry Steinberg from State of the U. We'll talk a little bit about the Miami Hurricanes as well. We will do our Dunderhead of the Week. Don't ask Michael anything this week. We have our uh, year-end thank-you-for-listening message and Merry Christmas message. So we'll get to that uh, here in a little bit. But uh, first, you know, this is... This is the last football one that we'll do with a game coming up this year we'll do uh, we'll do one show after the game to kind of just break down uh, how the bowl game went hopefully well for Washington State uh, but this is this is the last last one before a game so I, I think it kind of appropriate to look back at the season that was and what happened and everything that went on and how th- this was a wild ride. Wasn't it? I mean, this was a pretty wild 12, 13 weeks. From the end of the Apple Cup, anyway. It's been a pretty wild four months. And you you look back to where you started the season and ended the season. And I've said this before. It's like you put filet mignon in between two pieces of olive loaf. I mean, you know, just the worst start and end of the year that you possibly could have imagined. And maybe you couldn't even have imagined it. But but as bad as it gets, if you're Washington State to start and end the year, and then pretty much everything in the middle was pretty darn awesome. Uh, you go 8-2 and two in those middle 10 games. Uh, you beat UCLA in the Rose Bowl. You come back against Oregon in Autzen Stadium. You take Stanford to the wire in Martin Stadium. You dominate Oregon State, you keep your composure against Arizona, you come back and wax Arizona State after struggling early. I mean, it, you know, it, it it the intervening weeks in between the beginning and end of the year were went about as well as I think anybody could have expected. The inexplic I you know, that, that loss to Cal still that that one maybe disappoints me more than the Portland State game, but I think looking back at those 13 weeks of the season and I've said this before and I'll say it again just in a different way. That was a really weird 8-4. and four. Like a really weird way to go 8-4. and four. If you had chosen a way for this football team to get 8 wins and 4 losses probably wouldn't have happened in... The manner in which it did. I think you probably would have lost to Oregon, you would have lost to Stanford, UCLA probably would have been one, and then probably one of ASU or Arizona. Those would have been the four if I had to choose most likely to lose, those would have been one of the four. But you get beat by Portland State, you get absolutely run off the field in Seattle. And then you lost to Cal after being up by a couple of touchdowns. And then you lost... So, Stanford really, for me, I guess, was the only loss that I really saw coming. I mean, other than that, it, it was a really weird year from that standpoint. Just losses in games that you didn't expect at the beginning and wins in games that I, frankly, didn't expect. But we saw this team finally finally grow into what we've wanted it to be since Mike Leach got here and we'll talk with Vince about this here in a little bit as well that 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 2013 season was kind of a didn't really indicate the talent on this team or it didn't really indicate or you know wasn't a true reflection of the quality of the team Because, yes, they did get bowl eligible that year, but they lost some really bad football games. I mean, they got their butt absolutely kicked more than once. And I'll grant you that Washington State did get their butt kicked once this year, but they did it without their starting quarterback in their rivalry game on a short week. It's not an excuse for it, but it's, you know, like if it was going to happen any week, it was probably going to happen then. And against a team who needed to win to get to a bowl game. But in 2013 they you know they won 6 games but in those 6 losses they got their butts kicked a few times. They got the crap kicked into them by Oregon. I mean they and I, I seem to recall they played Arizona State that year I think I believe too and Arizona State kicked their butt. Yeah, they did on Halloween they kicked their butt on Halloween. It was not a fun 6 and 6. Every loss except for one this year was close. Every single one of them. And the wins were a reflection of what this team has become. A team that perseveres. And a team that... Gabe Mark said it after the UCLA game. You left me too much time. You put too much time on the clock for us. You left us too much time to get into the end zone to win the game. You left me too much time. So, I guess for me that, you know this 8 and 4 is finally the football team that Mike Leach has wanted to have in Pullman and it's finally the football team we've wanted to have in Pullman look ahead to next year let's look beyond the bowl game a little bit because you know results of bowl games are nice it's nice to win them but it's it's a one-off game against a team you're you're not ever going to really see again and it couldn't be truer with this one because Miami you've never seen Miami before look at next year in the Pac 12 North Tell me who should be better than Washington State. I'm waiting. Seriously. Oregon, maybe. Stanford, maybe. Washington, yeah. There's like two teams that might be better. Washington State should go into next season a favorite to win the division. Or at least find themselves in a position to be one of the teams with the best chance to win the division. And in fact, there are scenarios in which I can see that both teams in this state are the best in that division. That is how far this team has come. That is where we are at this point now. Next year, let's be clear about something. Next year is the year. Recruiting always lags a year behind. If you really want to get this program going in the right direction, to not, you know, not where 10 win seasons are the norm, but where eight, seven, eight, nine wins is the expectation, next year is the year. Your non-conference slate isn't super easy. Eastern Washington's a good FCS team. Boise State's Boise State. And okay, fine, you get Idaho, but they got better this year. And then you get Oregon and Stanford early when they're breaking in new quarterbacks. You get three of your last four games at home. Next year is really kind of the year. Next year's the year where you look up and down at that schedule and I go... They got a shot in all of those. There's not one on that schedule that I can just go, they're going to lose that football game. Are there games where I'm leaning to a loss? Sure. UCLA maybe. Stanford again, just because of how they always seem to be able to reload. But there's not really a game on that schedule. You look at that schedule and there's not really a game where you go, man, they're definitely not winning it. 2015, they got to where I didn't think they could get to after the first four weeks of the season. 2016 has to be the year. 2016 has to be the year you take that final step and you make that final leap. It had that has to be the year. In the interim, until we get there, you get to play a bowl game against a pretty cool team. Like it's it's not it's not the you. It's not early 2000s, the U. It's not, you know, late 80s, early 90s, the U. But it's still the U, man. It's still Miami. That's still pretty freaking cool, right? And again, I'll say this. After you lose to Portland State, you don't really get the right to complain about anywhere this team goes to a bowl game. Like, yeah, I get that El Paso the day after Christmas sucks and you can't go. But you can watch it on TV. It's on a Saturday. You've got the day off. Most people who work regular jobs, I don't. Lucky me. Uh, <laughs> you can watch the game. That's all you can really ask for after this. You get a bonus game. WSU gets to play in the Sun Bowl. It's like the fourth oldest bowl. It's got a ton of tradition. Really cool. And last time they went to the Sun Bowl. Some good things happened the year after that. Some okay things happened the year after that. Let's talk to Vince Grippy coming up next here on the Coop Center Hour. Back here on the Cook Center Hour with the dean of reporting on Washington State athletics and a man who taught me a lot of things when I was first starting out writing and covering football. So you can blame him for everything I say and write, uh, Mr. Vince Grippy of the Spokesman Review. Uh, Vince, it's Diet Coke in a bottle right now, right? That's what you're having while we do this. Uh, well, no, actually, uh, it's Diet Pepsi because it was cheaper. When you're retired, you have to buy what's cheaper. <laughs> I don't but you know what and, and that's and I don't really think there's a difference between diet coke and pepsi or maybe there is and I just not oh, a, a diet there's soda There's a huge difference. Oh, okay. Come on, okay. Michael. Okay, sorry. I teach sorry. You than that? I mean, there's an incredible taste difference.
1: But you know what, it's just it's all free calories. I'm
2: so uh, <laughs> We uh you watched a lot of bad football back in the in the wolf days, Vince, and uh, even those teams beat Portland State. Now, I'll grant them that Portland State this year is a much better football team than those Portland State teams were, but just taking from what I t- I talked about this a little bit last week, you go from the mindset of where most fans were, including me for that matter, after that loss to Portland State to where you are even after the blowout loss to Washington and the difference in how you're feeling, has to be probably one of the most incredible roller coaster rides uh, in WSU football in probably over a decade, right? Yeah, you know it's interesting you
1: say that because uh, roller coasters uh, have a couple of things with them. Usually, they start off where you, you're you're headed up a hill, and then you fall like crazy. Well, this season is the exact opposite of that. They they started off with the biggest stumble they probably it might be the worst loss in 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 one sense in washington state's history in the in the the sense that there was a lot expected there's been a lot invested in this program by fans by uh the school itself financially Mm -hmm. and emotionally and to open up your season losing to an fcs school uh, one that wasn't expected to be any good you got to remember that it wasn't like we were talking about portland state that we know now yeah it was a team that Was picked to finish in the the bottom third of the Big Sky, and and rightfully so. They had lost, they had fired their coach, had interim coach. They were talking at the time about whether or not to keep the football program. Yeah, and and they came into Pullman and beat them. I mean, simple as that. They, they beat Washington State. Second half, they just kind of, and almost dominated them. And uh, you were right. Uh, Cougar fans were uh, ready to jump off the cliff, uh, following each other, uh, run into the white cliffs of Dover and just jumping into the English <laughs> Channel. And And – it was funny because I'm sitting on the post game show afterwards doing the calling show with Derek Dyson, and, and every call seven seven out of ten calls were about we got to get rid of this guy we've wasted our money, et cetera. Mike Leach is a failure, and and I just couldn't understand it because even then, as bad as they played, you could see the a few differences,
0: especially on the defensive side of the football.
1: Now mm-hmm. they made a lot of mistakes, especially the rush ends. They 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 played very poorly that game. But there was so much more speed out there on defense. You remember watching practice with with the Wolf team, and yep. and, and I remember one time Keith Gilbertson came to practice because his son David was was on on the squad, and and we were just sitting there watching practice, and he started talking about how watch them watch them rally the ball he says it takes them forever to get there and it did there was there was nothing in the way of speed on the defensive side of the football mm-hmm. washington state in those years and, and it showed you know all through it and and with that portland state game as bad as it was you could see a few inklings of how things could get better and I said that on the post game i said people don't get so so uh quick to dismiss this team it's one game uh, there's 11 games left in the season. Who knows where they can go? Teams get better, mm-hmm. and to Mike Leach's credit, to Alex Grinch's credit, to the rest of the coach staff, and to the players' credit, they did get better.
2: Yep. I, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Alex Grinch there, and you mentioned just some of that speed on defense and the things that you know you could see when Paul Wolf was the head coach. That you know, try as they might, those guys those, they just could not get to the football quick enough. There was just no team speed. And what Alex Grinch has done with this defense is pretty amazing considering what I think a lot of us felt last January, that it took forever to hire a guy and you had to go with a completely unproven coach who'd never coached defenses before. So you go from a guy who you know, we were all a little bit nervous about to now a guy who you hope you can keep in Pullman for the long term. That's also got to be quite the transformation from beginning to end of the season. Well, I, I mean... Mike Leach has made his
1: career recruiting guys for football that nobody else had heard of. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he didn't get five-star guys at Texas Tech. He's not getting five-star guys at Washington State. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's turned them into football players oftentimes. Well... He's doing the same thing with his coaching staff, if, if you think about it. And we went out and got a guy that's basically your equivalent of a three-star recruit, you know, and Grinch, a guy that been a secondary coach at the University of Missouri. And you say, okay, you're a secondary coach, but we're going to give you the keys to the defense. You run it, and, and for Mike Leach's team, that is really, honestly, the truth. Because he's not a head coach that's in that defensive meeting room and and and, and making a lot of you know uh, suggestions and decisions. He just wants to play a certain way and he lets you figure out how to play that way. Yeah. He gave it to a guy that's, I mean, l- let's face it, he's young enough to be my kid, and, and probably <laughs> you do do Mike Leach's kid. Mm-hmm. And, and and he trusted him, and it's, and it's paid off. I, I have always felt since about game three of the season, maybe game four, maybe it was after the Wyoming game, because the Wyoming game was still kind of a struggle. But after that, the more you sat there and watched the defense play, the more I realized that uh, Shalom Lawani has made an incredible Difference in the whole tone of the defense. Mm-hmm. We all know how hard he hits. I mean, everybody that watches a Cougar game can say that they saw this. It's he hits like Deal Buchanan used to hit? Um, but the the thing he's brought that they didn't have before was a was a quickness of decision making. I don't think I really uh, phrased that right, but he, he plays fast. Okay, yeah. in, in football coaches brought He is fast. He runs pretty well, but he plays fast. He makes his decisions quickly, when he makes the right decision, it's very disruptive and the whole defense is playing that way. And and to me he's the MVP of the of the defensive side of the ball this year. I, I don't
2: think anybody else would vote for him, but that's that's my pick and I'm sticking with it. I li- no, I, I I like that. I think the whole defense obviously they- they improved all year and it, you know, it they they looked a lot better than last year. It would have been hard to look worse, but they certainly looked a lot better. The big key to their success this year. And I, I want to go back to Vince, their their last bowl eligible season was in 2013. Uh 6-6 six six that year to get to the bowl game. They would eventually lose to Colorado State. But everybody kind of thought that they had, you know, well, they it looks like they've turned a corner. They turned a corner and they kind of. Drop a turd the next year at 3-9. But just looking back on 2013 compared to this year, 2013 had a lot more uneven performances where they were still getting the doors blown off them in a few losses. Now granted, they did that against Washington, but it was with a backup quarterback uh, in that game. But I, I think that in 2015... Is it, is it easier to say that they've turned the corner this year than compared to 2013? I just don't want to repeat that mistake of saying, yeah, they finally turned the corner and then have it all fall you know flat on your face again. But it really does seem like this year you can say this about that football team.
1: Yeah, 2013 was, was kind of a confluence of really interesting um, occurrences. A lot of guys played well. Uh, Better than you expected. They they won some games, some free games. I mean, look at the SC game. It was when the, the SC was in just total turmoil. They didn't play well. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. they, they played poorly. There seemed to be some sort of uh, dysfunction on the offensive side of the ball that uh, Lane Kiffin seems to have left in LA and didn't take to Alabama. Yeah. But uh, so they won that ball game thanks to two interceptions by Demonte Horton and and. Really, things that you didn't expect to happen. I mean, pick sixes—you you can't count on that—and no. and they did that. So it was—it was. You're right; it was a fluke. They ended up winning six games. They they came all well, eligible, and then they left the worst taste probably in anybody's mouth ever for a team that is coming out of a bowl game in the the way they lost that game to Colorado State. Mm-hmm. It was just just ugly. I know for a fact that Jim McElwain, the coach of Florida, the Colorado State coach, just felt like Washington State just gave them the game. You know, and just here, th- here you take it. We really don't want it, type yeah. of thing. And they did. And so the whole off season was spent in a pursuit of trying to make improvements. With there still holes all over the all over the, the field, whether it's holes in the offensive line, holes on the defensive side of the football. But but the plan was we're going into 2014, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, be the most aggressive defense in the in the Pac-12. We're gonna practice all summer. We're gonna we're going to attack people. And the very first play from scrimmage against Rutgers turns out to be we're attacking and they go right over the top and a, a fifth year corner who's never played gets beat for a, for a touchdown. The safety is nowhere to be found. Yeah. And everything changes and the defense lost its whole identity that it had spent the whole offseason building. And that led to, it's kind of funny because you think about that play, I mean, really, honestly, Michael, do you think anybody was more disappointed after that one play than Cougar fans? I mean, they just, no. it, it, like, it was like pricking the Hinderberg right there, and everything just <laughs> blew up for everybody. Yeah. And then, but it, but it's, it's the foundation of what is happening now, because from then on, the defense got passive, It cost the defensive coordinator his job, and now you have you've brought in a guy who's in his thirties, who's who's got nothing to lose. The defense is playing aggressively; it's improved immensely, Mm -hmm. and now they're
2: winning eight games. And that and that that obviously the big difference. And you had a quarterback that year in Connor Halliday, and and here, obviously in twenty fourteen, kid played his butt off, and now you have a guy like uh, in Luke Falk, who you know it just seems like WSU's recent history. In terms of quarterbacks, is these guys are gamers, and they're tough. They they get hit. They get back up. Uh, you know, I, I obviously don't want Luke Falk playing through a concussion. That's not smart. And I, I usually fall on the side of, please don't play through an injury and make it worse. But you've got a lot of quarterbacks here recently. Jeff Toole, Marshall Lobestal, Connor Halliday, and now Luke Falk. Guys who just kind of exude what fans want in a Cougar quarterback. But Luke Falk could be the best of the Bunch and just having somebody that special uh, at the quarterback position, especially in this offense, gives fans that thing to really cling to. It's that incredible quarterback who, uh, you know, we can compare to guys like Graham Harrell and Cliff Kingsbury, especially in this offense. What what about him? You know, obviously, other than his skill on the field, do you think makes him just this kind of this uh, fan magnet that everybody loves to to you know uh, to admire? and uh and to just call their favorite cougar quarter or favorite cougar player well i i think part of it is
1: is his demeanor and and i think that demeanor is important to him because really early on this season luke falk wasn't good enough as a quarterback for washington state mm-hmm. he the that part a big part of the reason they lost to portland state is because he did not play well and he'll tell you that he did not have a very good game that first game you watch the film of that game and he missed so many wide open receivers it was it was uh because he he had some experience only three games but he had been out there for a while yeah it, it, it was just he was he was poor to to bad that ball game he didn't play all the, i mean he threw for a ton of yards against rutgers but he missed a lot of guys same with wyoming but he got better it's the same thing with the football team people think that College kids are finished products, and they're not. And he was, certainly wasn't a finished product coming into the season. No. The Luke Falk that's, that, that, that took snaps against Colorado was immensely better than the Luke Falk that took snaps against Portland State. Um, and and, and he, it's not just in his throwing, because he's always had a good arm. You know, it's, He's not going to throw it through a brick wall, but, but that doesn't matter in quarterback play. The, the key in quarterback play is getting the football to the right guy at the right time. And and early on in the season he wasn't picking out the right guy as often as he needed to. By the end mm. of the year he was. And that that's what I think really endears him with Cougar fans is that he's good. I mean, you throw for <laughs> four or five hundred yards every game and, and, and you're and you're putting the ball in the space it's supposed to be and guys are running with it and you're you're scoring a ton of points. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, they're gonna like you. You know, mm-hmm. and and then it really helps when your team keeps winning because I mean Connor Halliday uh, threw for seven hundred some yards in a game, uh, you know, an NCAA record, and they lost.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, and it's not Connor's fault. He did everything he possibly could to win that football game. There's, I don't think there's anything else he could have done to win that football no. game, and they still lost. And so people have a sour taste on it. Yeah, you throw for two hundred ninety-eight yards that same game, and you win. People are pretty happy. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, like anything, people, fans love winners, and, and uh, Luke Falk has been a winner since he's he's been here. I mean, he's got a winning record as a, as a starting quarterback, and that, it hasn't happened much since uh, uh, 2003, has
2: it? Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen a little bit of, let's go to the bowl game here a little bit now, I've seen, you know, 8-4, and four and... There was some thought maybe that you could sneak into the Holiday Bowl, and USC took that game. You were never going to the Foster Farms Bowl; they'd always been interested in UCLA. So, WSU's landing spot being the Sun Bowl. In other years, it probably would be better, given the game was usually on New Year's Eve, uh, not this year because of the College Football Playoff. But I see a lot of a lot of belly aching from fans about oh, it was a crappy location and. Oh, why even bother if fans can't go and this, that, and the other thing? And I guess my attitude is kind of again after the start to the season and after going two and two through your first four games, you should probably just be pretty happy that this team is playing in the postseason at all at this point. Yeah, but
1: I get the point. I mean, a day after Christmas is a really tough day yeah. for any bowl anywhere. I mean, it's just it's just a it's Not not a great place for to draw a lot of people, but really, honestly, Michael, what has college football become? It's become a TV sport. Mm -hmm. It's not about the people in the stands as much as as much as. college football programs still like to push how important those people are to them they're secondary to the, to the eyeballs watching TV and the, and the ratings and the amount of money yeah. that the, the TV people spent you know it's really funny because the Sun Bowl is, is an anom- anomaly in college football now it's it's the it's one of the, only two bowls that isn't televised by the you know Disney World uh, mm-hmm. stations whether it be ESPN or ABC and uh, pretty much And I mean Fox has I mean I'm talking about the Bowl Bowls not the not the really big ones. And so, yes, fans kind of uh, really gotten a, a monopoly on everything, but some has been with CBS forever and, and it still is. And, and it's got a little bit of a tradition to it. It's, it's one of the oldest bowls there is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's in El Paso and it's on the day after Christmas. And, and I don't care how you feel about El Paso. I have my own personal opinion about it because I've spent some time there. Um, but still it's hard to get to i mean it's not dallas it's not houston it's not even san antonio for goodness sakes it's not a place you could you know you could fly in late christmas night if you wanted to really i mean i guess you could it would have been hard but yeah it's it's hard to get there and and that i understand that but it doesn't really matter because they are there they're playing in a game they get those 15 practices they're using right now they're in the middle of they're improving guys that may not have you know, that that we're kind of on the bubble about. They spent a week really working with some of their younger guys that are now that's going to help them next year. I thought Mike Leach said the most interesting thing he said football-wise all season when he talked about at the end of the Washington game that the 2016 season starts now. You know, the bowl game to him is the kickoff to next year. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you got guys that are going to be called upon you're going to lose some seniors on both sides of the ball. You've got a chance to have a very good team uh, next year, but you need some guys to step up. Well, why not use the 15 practices in the bowl game to get them ready for that next season to see what they could do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a part of their plan. Again, I think that's pretty smart.
2: And another thing I talked to some fans about this and, you know, I, I, again, I understand their point about it being tough to travel to El Paso and I totally get that. But, You know, In terms of a team that you're playing, I think this worked out about as well as it could have for WSU because not only do you get a team that you've never played in Miami, you get a team that historically uh, is one of the best programs in college football, but not only are they that, they're in a down year. They fired their head coach and granted they've gotten better with Larry Scott as their head coach, but they're still not the Miami of the early 2000s, the late 80s, early 90s. They're not that Miami football team. So from that standpoint, it's a pretty marquee opponent for WSU, but one that's really, really beatable and kind of a cool thing for fans to watch even if they're not going to be able to make it to West Texas. Well, being that the Star Wars movie is
1: coming out or is out right now, the the newest one, I'll I'll quote the first one. Don't get cocky, kid. Yeah. (laughs) Because this team's better than people think, talent-wise. I I really believe that. Don't tell Nebraska they're not the same Miami old. They beat Nebraska. Don't tell Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, which was ranked most of the year. They beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. You know, don't you know? Georgia Tech was expected to have a good team. Were they down a little bit? Yeah, but Miami handled them pretty am- hand yeah. Just a, couple, a few weeks ago, Duke they beat Duke, which has turned into a decent program. The Clemson loss, they quit. There was they quit on themselves and they quit on their coach, and he got fired that week. I mean, it, it was it was one of the worst losses you've ever seen. But since then, they've lost once to a pretty good North Carolina <laughs> team, and they've won four times. I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a it's uh the kind of game where washington state fans will think oh miami they're down they fired their coach well we got this one well they're eight and four just like washington state they finished five and three in their conference Mm -hmm. and uh they're 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 ready to show that they can play they're ready to say goodbye to their interim coach that that brought them all together and kept them together for the rest of the year and most importantly their new head coach is going to be in attendance watching, and every other team wants to impress him because they want to play next year.
2: I'll leave uh, you off with this, Vince. And we talk about uh, next year a little bit. And Mike Leach mentioned that you know that this bowl game is kind of the start to next season. And you saw a guy in Theron West uh, in the New Mexico Bowl really make his mark, and he played some in 2014 as well. Um, this really is kind of the starting point for that 2016. and We saw the schedule. Uh, a few days ago and other than the early bye week and a black friday apple cup in pullman i think it sets up pretty favorably for wsu where you kind of look down that schedule and you go you know there's only maybe one or two games where i really can't see them winning it but man if they can really get off on a good foot here and 2016 kind of looks like the year doesn't it i mean at at this point that's that's kind of what you got to be thinking you know, when they get to
1: start off with an FCS school and that first game. Well, oh, wait a minute! Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're playing a good FCS. Program. Yes, I mean, yes. Eastern's uh, very good. That's yeah. The hard part is you're mm-hmm. playing. Uh, you're playing one of the best there is in the country. You know, they gave them all they could handle a few years ago, uh, and they give every Pac-12 team a, a, a run for their money. Mm-hmm. And you've got you've got Boise State at Boise State. So your your non-conference uh, schedule isn't. Uh, as simple as you'd like it to be, as personally as far as I can see it. I mean, your, your FCS yeah. school is a tough one. Your road game a tough one, and then you got Idaho at home, and there, that's a little bit of a grudge match if, if the same coaching staffs are still in place come yeah. and, come next season. And then you open up, you get your bye week. Oh, great, thanks. Let's have a bye week after our non-conference and then play nine consecutive Pac-12 <laughs> games. That's really nice, Pac-12. But bye, then you play Oregon and Stanford. If I if I'm correct, there I think right correct, back to yep. back, and Let's hope by then Dakota uh, Krupa uh, is hurt, so he, he's out for a game or two for <laughs> Oregon to, to help there. And then uh, Stanford is not going to have their quarterback back, the guy that ended up almost beating a single-handedly this year. Yep. So that's a good thing. So, yeah, Michael, like, well, your optimism is probably uh, well-founded, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I guess I, I'm more of the John Wood. Uh, school don't get too excited don't get too down don't don't get too upset at losses don't get too uh don't be looking forward too much because if you end up looking down the road you run over something right or somebody runs you over right in front of you and uh next year is you know they have a chance to be pretty darn good Mm -hmm. but they have to play the same way they did this year which is getting better every week and by the end of it they could be something special uh, right now, I just want to see if they can actually win a Sun Bowl game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, you talk about somebody running you over. I think you, you're talking about that because I once almost ran you over getting to the donuts in the press box. Isn't that why?
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you know, lately I've been kind of slow because and, and, they haven't had many chocolates, donuts, <laughs> and so I, you know. I, it's no reason to rush if they don't have chocolate. So what you're
2: saying is I could get around you a little easier now. Not not the young and nimble Vince Grippy I knew who who would literally go through linemen to get to a, to a chocolate glaze that they had. Up there. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I oh. mean,
1: you don't get between me and my donuts. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> listen, listen up, people. If you're between Vince Grippy and his donuts, I just call your wife and tell her you love her because you, I mean it's 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 the end, and I hope that, uh, that that's your life is exactly fr- right. <laughs> yeah. Vince, thank you for joining us, big guy. Appreciate it.
1: Anytime, Michael.
2: Back here at the Kook Center hour, uh, we've talked to uh, Vince Grippy, the retired Vince Grippy. we Will now talk to uh, our Miami expert from the State of the U, uh, Mr. Jerry Steinberg. And it's it's not it's not Miami State; it's the University of Miami. So State of the U, just you know, to play on the State of the Union, but uh, just just for it's not Miami State University because I never understood the the city state university name because that kind of seems like weird. I don't know how that you can do that. Well,
0: I, I can explain that for you, real quick. Actually, that'd be cool. Um, so back when Harold Schnellenberger revived the program in the early part of the '80s, before they won their first national championship, he dedicated his recruiting philosophy to what he called the "quote unquote" state of Miami. Um, so he, you know, made it a, a huge emphasis to recruit South Florida, not letting either the top recruits from from that area get away. And he called the state of Miami. Uh, So when we came up with the website, first of all, State of Miami was already taken, so we couldn't do that, but you know, everybody knows about the U, if you've seen the 30 for 30, the U. (laughs) So we just kind of combined Howard Schnellenberger with Billy Corbin, and bam, State of the U, and... Also when the president speaks, we get a few extra hits because you know everybody searches state the again and that helps us out low. Nothing wrong
2: with that. So. Nothing nothing wrong. Hey, we we know all about cheap hits. We have hot cougar action at at uh, Cook Center, so we know I'll all we clicks, know. All. I'll take clicks wherever I can get
0: them. Yeah, you know, so. exactly,
2: right? Um so we'll start out, Jerry, kinda with the big obvious thing that happened at Miami this year. Al Golden fired Larry Scott, the interim head coach, and for our normal listeners, that's not Pac Twelve Commissioner Larry Scott, that is head coach at Miami, Larry Scott. Uh, And then hiring Mark Richt, uh, the former Georgia head coach, uh, to coach Miami after the Sun Bowl. He's not coaching Miami for the Sun Bowl. He will be in El Paso, though, I believe. So what, you know, I I, I know that Miami fans weren't happy with Al Golden for a litany of reasons, but firing him kind of seems to have come at the right time, considering who you were able to get on the back end of it in a pretty darn good coach in Mark Richt.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I, I think they would have let Coach Golden finish the season if they hadn't lost uh, to Clemson 58-0. to nothing. That was the that is the worst loss in the history of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I mean, Clemson is number one in the country. Uh, they're going to be in the playoffs and so on and so forth. We know they're a good team, but uh, I, I think that game just kind of emphasized um, that that the program was definitely not heading in the right direction. I think. Um, you know, not being able to compete with top programs, nonetheless beat them with something that was, you know, the final straw. And and Al Golden had five years, and and he worked through a lot of trouble. Everybody knows what happened at the University of Miami with the Nevin Shapiro scandal, and Mm -hmm. and he deserves credit for navigating. But the program was not moving forward. But you're absolutely right. The timing of this couldn't be better. It happened just at the right time. Apparently Georgia got sick of Rick, and uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure because Mark Rick is a guy that, Win ten games in the SEC every year. He's a University of Miami alum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a perfect. It's just a perfect fit. So Miami is, is very, very fortunate to get Mark Richt. In my opinion,
2: I mean, you talk. Yeah, you talk about it kind of being that perfect confluence of timing, and, and you know, you know, the one man's trash and the other man's treasure. I think is pretty apropos in this case because Mark Richt is not a bad football coach. He's a pretty damn good football coach, and. Obviously not up to Georgia's SEC standards, but how does the fan base react to this kind of hiring? Because like you said, he's a UM alum, um, so they've got to be pretty thrilled with the fact that they're not only able to to get a, a guy who knows Miami football pretty well, but a guy who for really all intents and purposes should not have lost his job with Georgia, but he did because, well, SEC is totally unreasonable sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like the uh, Nick Saban effect for everybody in the SEC. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's crazy that Les Miles almost lost his job at LSU, and you know, Rick kind uh, of kind of felt through the aftershock of uh, not being able to beat Alabama, and, and they did have some trouble in, in big games at Georgia. But nonetheless, I mean, you win ten games just about every year in the SEC. You must be doing something right. Um, the only thing I would say, Miami fans are, I would say, pretty much thrilled uh, through and through. There may be a small group that was a little dissatisfied at first. Um, the, the consensus choice of most Miami fans would have been Butch Davis to replace Al Golden. Mm-hmm. As you know, Butch Davis was the guy that uh, resurrected Miami in the '90s, early 2000s, uh, handed over arguably the greatest football, college football team of all time to uh, Larry Coker, and won the 2001 national championship. Uh, those were all Butch Davis's players. So there's. Uh, about considerable amount of reason why he was such a popular choice among the fans. He did run into some trouble at North Carolina, although they said he was cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, given the Nevin Shapiro thing that was hanging over Miami's head, I don't think they wanted to go that direction. So everything mm-hmm. worked out perfectly, and I don't think they could have got a better selection than Rick. Um, had left Miles become available, that would have been interesting. Um, had Charlie Strong become available, uh, that also would have been interesting, but I, I think all things considered, Rick was pretty much perfect So you know, perfect for both sides.
2: Now let's actually talk about the football team a little bit here, because Rick, like we said, he's he's going to be at the game. He will not be coaching, though. So uh, this is Larry Scott's team uh, for one more bowl game, and uh, Washington State likes to talk about their quarterback an awful lot, but Brad Kaya is uh, Miami's quarterback, and he's an awfully good uh, quarterback. Averages a really high yards per attempt average, doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, Completion percentage could be a little higher, Jerry, but I mean, other than that, uh, he seems to be a pretty darn good quarterback. What makes him so good for the Hurricanes?
0: Um, well, first of all, with the he, he is a sensational quarterback. I, I know you guys got a great kid up in Fall mm-hmm. um, at Washington State. I, I think they're similar players from from what I've seen. I've, I've watched a lot of highlights Falk this past week and a half, or since the ball was announced. Uh, they're pretty similar. Uh, Kaya's completion percentage, I would attribute more to the fact that their offensive line, which is very young, has been porous in pass protection at times this year. Mm-hmm. The fact numbers, numbers aren't that high, but that's because is so good at getting rid of the ball. Um, so he's been under a lot of pressure, especially in games like Florida State, um, the North Carolina game, and some of these other games where, where they lost or struggled. Uh, he He's had next to no time to throw the ball. He even missed the game. He got knocked out of the Clemson game with a concussion uh, because he got hit too much so much. Yeah. But what makes him really, really good uh, is, first of all, above the shoulders. He comes in prepared every single game. Uh, He changes plays at the line of scrimmage and and gives the team the best chance of success. Uh, For a sophomore quarterback, he's way above the curve in terms of um, the mental aspects of the game and making the correct reads. But on top of that, he's uh, sort of a perfectionist, works very hard at his craft. Uh, His footwork in the pocket is exceptional. So his passes are very accurate because he gets rid of the ball on time Mm -hmm. and uh, he always has his his feet behind him. Um, Just just your prototypical uh, pro-style drop-back quarterback. He's not going to scramble much. He'll occasionally make a play with his feet to buy more time uh, to find a receiver, but he's not a running quarterback. Mm -hmm. But um, really I would say, first of all, the mental aspect. Second of all, his footwork and third of all is accuracy, and he's got plenty of arm strength as well. Mm -hmm. So those are the attributes I would say that make Kaya uh, an almost elite quarterback
2: at this point. You have a guy like Kaya, quarterback, and then you go to the rushers. Joseph Yerby will rush for almost 1,000 yards this year. It's not like at Washington State where it's kind of running back by committee back there. Gerard Wicks will carry the ball more than anybody else, but Jamal Morrow, Keith Harrington get a number of touches as well. And we're just not used to seeing a guy close to a thousand yards by himself at WSU. You'd be averaging about five yards a carry. Seems to be uh, pretty threatening out of the backfield as well. But Mark Walton's got more touchdowns. What is it that makes the Miami running game so effective? Because these guys seem to pick up chunks of yards. Travon Gray as well. Uh, Trayon Gray, excuse me, as well, picks up a lot of yardage. What? What is that? Something in particular that makes the running game so good at Miami? Well, I, I,
0: I tell you. Um, last year, the running team was great. They had an experienced offensive line um, with guys like Eric Flowers, who's uh, on the Giants, John Feliciano, who's on the Raiders. Uh, they had a very experienced offensive line. This year, the numbers are a little bit um, deceiving because the running game has not been consistent this year. They've had some mm-hmm. big games when they played lesser opponents, but when they played the better teams on their schedule, they've struggled to run the ball. And that's not really um, anything against Yerby. Uribe. Yerby's a really good back. He's a um, he, he was. This is how highly regarded Yerby was coming out of high school. Uh, he came from the same high school as Dalvin Cook, who was nearly a Heisman finalist at Florida State. And they are like 1-1-A one one in high school, really. Um, he couldn't go wrong with either guy. So that, that's how highly regarded Yearby is coming out of high school. So he's certainly a very, very talented kid. Um, excellent receiver. Uh, I just think his, the, the problem with the running game is it being inconsistent. Or just that the offensive line has not been very good this year for Miami.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, if
0: I had to pick a weakness, I would say perimeter defense and offensive line for this Miami team. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do uh, to avoid being one-dimensional when they play Washington State in the mm-hmm. Sun Bowl. But um, you have even get back. And Mark is. Uh, his back should be even better. Mark Walton amazingly had like, four long touchdowns called back by penalty this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking, like, another 200 yards, another yard or two average mm-hmm. for carry, a couple of catches. Um, Walton actually, believe it or not, even though he's a smaller back, is really comfortable between the tackles. That's why he has so many goal line touches and touchdowns. Uh, UB can go between the tackles as well, but he's a little more comfortable on the outside. Both very, very good backs. Um... Both highly recruited coming out of high school. So if the offensive line can do anything at all against that Washington State front, they, they should have some success running the ball because
2: they're really good back. Let's talk about the receivers a little bit because uh, just looking at the stats, it seems like Kaya's spread it around uh, kind of like Luke Falk does at Washington State. You actually have four or three receivers, Stacy Cooley, Rashawn Scott, Herb Waters, all finish the season within forty-five yards of each other, which is pretty amazing all from 645 yards to 607 yards. Is there a particular receiver Washington State secondary needs to be worried about more than others, or is it just kind of is it kind of a death-by-a-million cuts when it comes to the Miami receivers? Well, I'll answer that in two parts for you.
0: Um, um, first of all, I would say the guy that's really been coming on, Rashawn Scott's been their most consistent receiver all year. He's a three, guy, runs really well, has great hands. Um, Prototypical, prototypical frame for the NFL. But Stacey Coley, who was a freshman all in Arton two years ago and had a real high drop-off last year as a sophomore, good next to nothing, has suddenly started to make some big plays in the passing game. So I'd watch out for Stacey Coley and then a guy that she didn't mention, a uh, wretched freshman, H-back, slash tight end, David Njoku. Mm-hmm. Uh, Njoku's like 6'4", 245. Um, he was a New Jersey State high-jump champion in high school, so he's a really, really good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, Runs really well. Runs really well after the catch. Um, hasn't developed as a blocker. That's why he's more of an H-back than, than a true tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's had some big games coming down the stretch, and he looks like a beast. And he reminds me of like, a poor man's like Shannon Sharp type player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd watch out for Najoku, and, and Kaya. and Najoku are starting to get more comfortable with each other. So I'd watch out for Coley, because Coley's on really strong... And Njoku, because Nagoku is really starting to develop, and get more and more comfortable
2: in the offense. Something we always like to talk about uh, when Washington State's playing anybody for obvious reasons is we want to talk about uh, the opponent's secondary. Washington State's going to throw the ball about seventy-five to eighty-five to eighty percent of the time, so it's it's no secret what they're going to do. And I think Jerry, that would you consider the secondary kind of the strength? of Miami's defense, you have a lot of really good, uh, players in the secondary back there, especially Nardi Burns, uh, Dion Bush, Jamal Carter, all back there and they're pretty good. Uh, what, what kind of makes this secondary so good and they've been able to, uh, defend the ball so well? Uh,
0: yeah, the secondary is far and away the strength of the Miami defense, uh, First of all, the Miami defense has been very disappointing this year. They've given up a lot of plays on the perimeter, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the run game, but they've struggled with things like bubble screens and and, uh, read options and zone options and all kinds of options. It's given them all kinds of trouble all year round. Uh, When you talk about the secondary, you got to start with Artie Burns. He's a junior who I think has zero chance of coming back for a senior year. He's Mm -hmm. got, I think, six interceptions on the year. Um, he's, he's a true cover corner, he's about 6'1", 195, really athletic, uh, great ball skills, excellent tackler, um, just does everything really, really well. I mean, Artie Burns is maybe the best corner Miami's had since the role, who actually went to safety in the NFL, but a uh, really good player. Um, Corn Elder is a guy that doesn't get mentioned that much because he doesn't have a lot of interceptions, and, and Corn Elder is best known for being the guy that finished the... Eight-lateral play against Duke. <laughs> um, but he's had a really, yeah, I yeah. mean, he's, he's had a good year returning punts. Um, but uh, they didn't have him back there the last couple games of the season probably because his value on defense is too high.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, really, really nice cover corner as well. Uh, not quite as good as Burns, but um, you definitely don't want to sleep on him and just think you could throw to his side all day. Mm-hmm. Um, their third corner is a senior, Tracy Howard who was a five-star recruit coming out of high school and has never quite lived up to the billing. I think there's a guy that gets picked on more than anybody and has had some trouble, especially thinking back the season in the Nebraska game, he had a lot of problems with mm-hmm. coverage and penalties and, and getting beat. Tracy Howard is probably the guy that Falk's going to go to try and pick on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deion Bush is a senior who's equally adept at supporting the run and making hits as he is uh, playing the ball. He's a really good all-around player. He'll probably be you know, a day-two NFL draft pick. Uh, Carter's a thumper. Um, I, I don't know they developed quite as much as they want him to in coverage, but he's a guy you got to keep your head on the swivel. He'll absolutely annihilate you. I, you know, I worry about him more than anything. Getting calls for targeting penalties could be that type of hitter. <laughs> um, so, overall, it's a very, very talented secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't show necessarily every game because they haven't had a consistent pass rush either, no matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. You know, quarterbacks are having four or five seconds to throw the ball. You could have Ronnie Lott back there and it wouldn't matter. So. But uh, if they get any kind of pass rush on Falk and he tries to throw balls into small windows, these are guys that are very, very capable of getting their hands on the ball, especially Burns.
2: Is that the key for the Miami defense, you think, in this game? Because, you know, we you talked about just kind of being disappointed with them a little bit this year, inconsistent uh, a lot at times. Is the key for them to get to Falk and force him to make some bad decisions? Because Falk is a pretty accurate passer, can make some poor decisions under pressure, but do you think that's really the way that Miami has to win this football game, is to is to get to him and basically force him to make those throws?
0: Absolutely. Um, now, Miami, as disappointing as they've been, they have two really, really talented defensive ends, and Chad Thomas and uh, al Mohammed. Um Again, guys that were... Al Golden recruited that were being recruited by everybody. I mean, these are really, really talented kids, and they've, they've shown flashes. I think for Miami to beat Washington State, they're going to have to have a couple drives where they get Falk off the field, um, either by sack, um, you know, take, make a play in the secondary, breaking a pass up, or make an interception. They can't just rely on him to miss.
1: That's mm-hmm. not going to
0: happen. They're going to have to get their hands on the ball, beat deflection, deflection or, or, or get to him and, and force him to make a bad throw. If you give him time to throw the ball, he's going to pick you apart all day long. And they have really tall receivers that have really wide ranges. I, I know the people listening to this already know that you guys have guys that are tremendous and, <laughs> and have great size. So it, it's not going to be about waiting for Washington State to make a mistake. Miami's going to have to force them to make a few mistakes. They're going to have to be extremely aggressive. And if big plays result, big plays result. Mm-hmm. They, they can't sit back and play zone. And, and, and not rush Funk and think that they're going to stop him because he'll pick you apart
2: all day long and my a This, uh, bowl games are always kind of hard to, uh, you know, get a really good read on Jerry because you don't, you've never probably seen this opponent before, or if you have, you've not seen them very recently. In this case, neither of these teams have ever played each other. I think for. Uh, Us at WSU is what makes it kind of, you know, gives it that kind of extra added cool, but also there's that that aura of playing the U, something that Washington State has never done. With all that in mind, if you had to make a pick for the game right now, which way would you lean? Just kind of knowing that, you know, these games are always kind of hard to pick just because of, you know, naturally, it seems to have never played each other.
0: I've been thinking about this question before you asked it for a week now. You know, as you're aware, you know, we're going to put a – anybody on SB Nation is going to put up a preview article, and I always like to end my preview article with some type of prediction. Um, You know, I know to a certain extent what Washington State brings to the table. They should have beat Stanford. Um, I'm hoping that the the version of Washington State that struggled with Rutgers, that's actually the one game I watched all year live of theirs being in the year. Um, although they they won that game. You know, they they played well when they had to. Uh, But I'm hoping that version shows up, but that was way back in the second week of the season, so Mm -hmm. I'm not counting on that. Uh, In terms of Miami, they have enough talent that at any point they can put together a really good game. But when they play the better teams on their schedule, North Carolina, Clemson, uh, you know, they've struggled severely. Despite that, I'm thinking it's going to be a 38-35 game. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think Falk and Kaya are going to have NFL scouts drooling because they're both going to show their their talents and they both have talented receivers to throw to. It feels like a homer pick, but I'm going to go Miami 38, Washington State 35 in a shootout. There's
2: nothing wrong with the homer pick in this case, man. I mean, I don't don't know anything. I don't know what's going to happen in this one. There's nothing wrong with doing a little homerism. Jerry Steinberg, yeah, State... It'll yeah, probably, it'll probably end up being a 7-3 game or something crazy. Oh, God, no, 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 no. WSU does not know. There's one thing that they don't do, and that's not <laughs> score points. That's like the one thing yeah. The one thing Washington State doesn't do is they're going to get their points. It's just a matter of enough of them. Jerry Steinberg, State yeah. of the U. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time.
0: Uh, no. Thanks for having me, and uh, good
2: luck to you guys, and, and it's been fun. Oh, yeah. I could have gone with uh, Steve Harvey, but that sound bite was just too good to not share at the top of the show. And again, I saw that card he used, and it, yeah, the layout was bad, but man, it just—it's still wow. Anyway, um, the dunderhead of the week—I want to—I would tie this into our ending message for the show here coming up in a second, but I—I uh, I, I made the decision. Uh, the misses and I moved to West Seattle. Uh, ...a couple weeks ago, and uh, the closest Target and uh, Barnes & Noble... ...we actually needed to pick up something for the house. We needed to get a new laundry hamper or something. It was in White Center. They have uh, the Westwood Village down there. And last Saturday, I made the just wonderful decision that, yes... ...going to a mall-type thing the last Saturday before Christmas is a fantastic idea... It took, like, 20 minutes to get through the parking lot. The post office was there. I had to pick something up at the post office, which, again, I'm just super smart. Um, (laughs) And that line took a half hour. And just navigating my way through the parking lot took forever. It was quicker for my wife to walk, like, a mile back to the car than it was for me to drive to go get her. And I had to work that afternoon and she had been planning on me helping her do some stuff around the house. And not that it's an entirely bad thing that I had to go to work because I got out of doing the chores around the house. So I won't complain about that. But she could have used the help and that would have been nice. So I I just, I got to think about that more, you know. And And I think everybody who went to the mall on Saturday, just an Amazon Prime membership next year, guys. I haven't had to go to the mall for one thing, and you know, all one thing I got from my dad, but that is a secret because oh well, he doesn't listen to the show. It's Frangos, Frangos from Macy's or Bon Marché's, you prefer. Um, but just, just this. I, the Amazon doesn't endorse the show. If they did, I would appreciate their money. Uh, but just spend the money. It, it's the best money you spend because you don't have to go to the mall. You just yes, stay right here. At the computer, where I am right now. Alright, Ask Michael Anything. Special Ask Michael Anything this week. We normally do Ask Michael Anything, but uh, this is right before Christmas. The show is Christmas week. Uh, and, and it's towards the end of the year here, we will do another show after this, but I wanted to spend at least a minute or two here just saying thank you, uh, to everybody who listened to the show this year, uh, we had a, one show went over 1100 listens, uh, that one with Yogi Roth, Joey Kaufman and Jacob Thorpe we had on, a few more touched near a thousand listens, so it's so cool to see the effort that I, I put into this show, Uh, be rewarded by nearly a thousand people listening to it uh, every week and I realize it doesn't sound like a lot uh, to some folks or you know it it doesn't seem like a bunch but we, you know we gotta remember we started out with this and just a couple hundred people listen so for our audience uh, to continue to get bigger and a lot of folks pump out a podcast every week and not nearly that many people listen and so I wanted to say, uh, a very special thank you to everybody who has listened, everybody who is listening, everybody who in the future is going to listen, any of our future, uh, uh, listeners who I know won't be listening right now, but I can still say thank you to them right now, um, uh, and I want to wish everybody a very safe, a very fun, a very happy holiday, uh, and to, if you're spending time with your family is a pain, then I hope the gin and tonics, uh, flow like uh, Angel Falls in Venezuela. I think that's where that is. I think. Maybe. I used to do the geography movie. Yeah, I'm a nerd. So I have a very fun, a very safe, very happy holiday. Uh, My birthday is next week, by the way, too, so if you want to get me anything, I can send you my Amazon wish list. Yeah, that'd be cool. Washington State 42, Miami, 31. Let's end the year with nine wins. I would be tickled pink if that happened. We'll talk to you next week on the Cook Center Hour.